Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. To everyone in the room, good morning, as well as to those that are joining us online. I am glad uh, that you are here today. This is a special Sunday uh, in, here at Crosslink in the life of our church, and the message from God's Word is a unique and, and specific uh, challenge for a time such as this. Today, we bring our Always, Always Christ sermon series, a study in the book of Colossians, to an end. Although its end but marks just the beginning of the impact and, and application of, of the word that has been preached over these last several weeks. As we take time to, to study God's word again today over just the next few minutes, we will conclude with a special time of dedication that I want you to begin to prepare your hearts and minds for even right now as we commit ourselves to the charge that Paul gives us in chapter four of Colossians, the conclusion to his letter to the church at Colossae. For our context, there is a timely and overwhelmingly relevant call to embrace all for Christ an all-for-Christ reality that, makes, uh, that must take hold of, of our life, that must take hold of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. The past few weeks, we have walked uh, through the book of Colossians uh, by chapter, by passage, by verse, to understand that Christ is all and in all. Therefore, we are to always and in all ways uh, live our lives as all in Christ. All in Christ having an all to Christ perspective as we progress through our spiritual maturity, being all with Christ as we um, have this, uh, the likeness of Christ. We put on the likeness of Christ and put off the things that, of this world that are sinful and grieve the Holy Spirit. We said uh, this past Sunday that the best proof of living an all with Christ's life is through obedience, putting our lives before him in submission and surrender. The clearest evidence of a life all for Christ is when the disciple's life is equipped and committed to the point of seizing life's opportunities, challenge or celebration, trial or triumph, struggle or success, as potential ministry moments, sharing Christ through word and deed. This is truly a, a carpe diem uh, outlook on the life that, that God uh, has given us. Seize the day, yes, but there's so much more to it than that. If you are physically able, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word as we go to Colossians uh, chapter four, starting in verse two. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. 
As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. You may be seated and may God bless the reading of his word. As we look at the text, we get the sense of conclusion and urgency. What is Paul conveying here? What message does the word of God through the Holy Spirit have for us today? Paul knows time is of the essence. His own time is short. The Colossian church must rally in strength and understanding about the truth of, of who Christ is as false teaching creeps in and attacks their faith. Paul also knows the need for proclaiming the truth about who God is and the salvation through his of sharing the gospel. Paul is greatly aware of the urgency and opportunity when it comes to the gospel ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, he summarizes with a similar tone, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, we get a sense of the impact of ministry that God was doing there uh, in the church and as a result of being a good steward of the ministry God had given them. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. As we look at chapter four and, and verses two through four, we see Paul describe that we must have an all for Christ mindset, an all for Christ mindset. In verses two through four, we see Paul basically continues the discussion of the, of the new man in Christ that he began in chapter three. As we saw last week, there were characteristics to put on and old habits and sins to, to put off, to, to put aside while taking a look at how all of that impacted our relationships and, and interactions with others. Here he summarizes the important practical characteristics to exhibit as we grow towards spiritual maturity, all for Christ. In verses two and three, we see that he's talking about a a devotion, a devotion in prayer. Paul ends his letter pretty much as he opened it, urging his readers towards prayer. Many times in other letters, and earlier in this one even, Paul describes the idea of praying without ceasing. 
First Thessalonians 5, verse 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for, there, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The same tone and, and wording appears here. Giving the exhortation to make prayer a characterization of our life and of the life of the church. There are, there are two aspects going on here uh, for the prayer that, that Paul is instructing and describing. Both require prayer to be faithful. They are, they are that prayer needs to be watchful, a watchful type of prayer, and an intercessory prayer. Watchful prayer means not neglecting, uh, but meaningful and purposeful. Prayer should be the very essence of, and breath of, of our spiritual life. As we grow in prayer, so also we grow in maturity, maturity in our Christian walk. Prayer is, is more difficult uh, in, in many ways than, than even reading the Bible to, to grow in our relationship with Christ. Too often, our, our prayers are, are vague in general uh, or even self-serving. Instead, they need to be purposeful and reliant upon God's power not that we said a prayer uh, so that we, we did it and, and we move on. All, all too often, we forget who we are talking to when we go to the Lord in prayer. And so there's, there's an attitude, a mindset that needs to have devotion with it. And then there's to be intercessory prayer. Paul gives an example of this, of praying for others, for their ministry. This involves going to God on behalf of others. That's what intercessory prayer is. You're praying on behalf of someone else for the things in their life. He needed the power of it. Paul did. He wanted the comfort of it. He also knew that this type of prayer, this level of prayer would further the development of spiritual maturity in those who were praying that way. As he's talking about prayer, uh, he also gives this context of awareness uh, and we need to have discernment, discernment in our awareness in verse two. We go back to verse two, we see the phrase keeping alert. Uh, this really does connect to prayer, true, what true prayer involves in the most literal sense is, uh, well, staying awake, being focused and authentic. How many times uh, do we struggle to, to stay awake uh, in, in our prayer if we're praying before we're going to bed at night or even first thing in the morning or in our quiet time if we're sleepy? It, it's a struggle. We have to fight against that. We weren't the only ones. Jesus' disciples did that. We could think of the, uh, the example in, of Jesus in Gethsemane saying to his disciples, so you cannot stay awake and keep watch with me for an hour? You know, Jesus was tempted in, in every way that we are, yet he had the power to resist. He had no sin. But I wonder, though, uh, what thought he was battling uh, in, uh, in that moment, maybe uh, giving his disciples a little kick as they laid there on the ground. I mean, seriously, come on, Peter, James, John, wake up already. Or maybe turning on the, the Gethsemane uh, garden sprinkler system and, and showering his disciples to get them wake, woke up. It's what I would have done anyway. It's not possible to pray when you're sleepy or sleeping effectively. And snoring is, is uh, not some sort of uh, praying in tongues either. That doesn't count. We need to be awake. We need to be alert. Paul's thoughts here, however, are broader than mere physical alertness. He also means that believers should look for things which they ought to be praying for and praying about in an intentional way. Not vague prayers, not general prayers, but to be devoted to prayer, 
to be devoted and intentional about prayer requires something specific and meaningful to pray, not just going through the, the motions or a rote prayer of, of repetition that, that you pray the same thing all the time. It needs to have meaning. Paul is, is describing this here, and he's describing it also in the form of an attitude, and that we need to have dedication in attitude. There's a third element of the idea behind prayer here, an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude. Uh, to have this attitude of gratitude, we need to be dedicated in that prayer and with our mindset. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in and any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's, there's a reflection here on, on getting that comfort uh, from the Lord and having an attitude of thanksgiving. And we saw that a few Sundays ago in Colossians chapter two. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him with established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So a dedication and attitude uh, in prayer and our mindset of being all for Christ is important, but we must also have a direction and witness. If we go to verse four, we see Paul direct uh, his, his prayer for himself as well as for the church to follow an example. Notice that Paul here did not ask, is he, he's asking this, this church to, to pray for him. He didn't ask for the prison doors to be opened, but the doors of ministry might be opened. He was asking for the Colossians to pray, not for his release, but for his current circumstances as such as they were, to present their own opportunities for ministry. That's huge. Park there for just a second. When was the last time we stopped uh, praying for our current situation uh, and circumstance to end? But instead, ask God to show you ministry opportunity through the midst of that circumstance, in the midst of that trial. Paul turns from a prayer that is directed to God and the attitude that it creates in us to the proclamation of the gospel, which is directed to people. He uses the image of a door. A door in the New Testament usually refers to an opportunity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse eight through nine, Paul writes, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. We need to pray for open doors with an all for Christ mindset. We need to pray for open doors because it is God who opens them. Paul desired an open door so he could share the gospel. He could speak the mystery of Christ. It had been for this reason that Paul was even imprisoned in jail for, for doing that. And yet it's still his prayer and focus and request for others to join him in continuing to pray for this opportunity. Our witness is so critical to our ability to share the gospel with others. This past week, a, a member from our church uh, spoke at a local school board meeting. Some of you are aware of that. He did so boldly with truth and in peace. He followed the rules. Had he been profane or pompous, uh, he would have, in fact, uh, sounded just like the hypocritical rabble that was causing a ruckus behind him. I'm proud of the stand uh, for biblical truth that, that he publicly took, but I'm also thankful for the wisdom and grace he exercised under fire. 
We can't act like the world and get the world's attention towards Christ. Our witness must be careful and we must be watchful to pray that it is so. We must be watchful to pray that it is so while also proactively praying for open doors that create ministry opportunities. This mindset is essential as we go about uh, even the difficulties that we face in our culture today, having a mindset of all for Christ in our prayer and, and what we do and how we do it. And that leads to us being all for Christ in mission, all for Christ in mission, verses five and six. In this part of the passage, Paul broadens the scope to address unbelievers and how our very lack of being all for Christ can turn others away from or, or even against Christ. Everything we do is an impact opportunity, just waiting to be observed by the world around us. What impact will we make? John MacArthur writes, what believers are gives credibility to what they say. While I agree, and, and certainly this is true, I would suggest that the opposite reality is also unfortunately true. What believers are and how we act can discredit what we say and the message we give. This is why Paul describes two areas of focus for us as we consider our influence with those who very much need the message of hope and truth that we possess. There's an inward focus in verse five. There's two principles that stand out here in verse five as we look at this inward focus and that those deal with wisdom and time. We are to have wisdom with outsiders, as Paul says, those not of the faith, the Gentiles, the lost and dying world around us. Why do we need to exercise wisdom? I mean, really, things are, are bad enough already, right? I mean, what, what does it really matter? What difference does it make how I say and what I say and how I proclaim the truth? Absolutely, it does. Believe me, I'm a fan of the two-by-four approach. Just ask Pastor, uh, never mind. It's my go-to method when I'm operating in the flesh. Now, there are appropriate times and appropriate ways for more aggressive measures and tactics that, that may be needed when dealing with the truth. But even when we fire truth bombs at those around us, they better be encased in love. Like we talked about last week, Otherwise, our strong stances will be nothing more than background explosion noise and collateral damage, rather than a precision strike that disarms and delivers a message and sets an example which obliterates the false teaching and penetrates sinful stronghold and foils the worldly agenda. That's how we deal with it. This starts inwardly with us in our relationship with Christ and his word, Psalm chapter one, verse one through two says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. We are to dwell there uh, in the presence of God so that we can have the presence of God with us as we exercise wisdom in interacting with those around us and sharing the, the truth of the gospel. Wisdom involves properly evaluating circumstances and making godly decisions. Wisdom involves properly evaluating circumstances and making godly decisions. Believers are to exhibit a, a carefully planned, consistent, and, and righteous Christian life. 
If those who say they are believers live as fools, outsiders, or unbelievers, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Timothy 3, will ridicule the faith in Jesus and shun the gospel, and they will have good reason to do so. Only as we live wisely will the watching world see the power of God work in us, even if the world doesn't like it. There are four primary sources for wisdom that the believer has. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Uh, there's a continual theme throughout Proverbs there of getting wisdom from the Lord and the fear of the Lord being the beginning of it. If we lack wisdom, we are to ask God who gives it generously. James chapter 1. We are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Colossians chapter 3, last week. We are to continually receive godly instruction. 2 Timothy 3. The second principle here of, of time as, as it pertains to wisdom uh, make it, is making the most of every opportunity. If we do not succeed in the first half of wisdom in our life, we will not succeed here with time and making the most of every opportunity. This, I, this refers to the idea of redeeming time. Just as Paul says in his letter in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Moses prayed in Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Opportunity is fleeting. Life is short. And every day, more people die without Christ. We know the Lord could return at any time. The time is now for believers to speak with their lives. It is only through walking in wisdom and seizing opportunities for, go for gospel impact that our world, that our words mean anything. Think about it. The early church had none of the modern means of advertising, communicating, uh, promotion, and, and uh, advertising the gospel, putting, putting the gospel out there that we have today, that we have the resources of today. And thus... There, there were probably also fewer scandals and hypocrites. Yet by living out the truth of the gospel in their personal and corporate lives, in the workplace and in the marketplace, they turned their world upside down. We need to be careful, though, as the church today, being wise that we don't turn the world upside down to where it comes crashing down on our heads instead of making an impact in the life of the lost culture around us. We need to have an outward focus as well, an inward focus and an outward focus when it comes to being on mission all for Christ. We need to have consistency of life that, that must be followed by consistency of speech. Paul is not speaking here of preaching the gospel as, as he has been, but general conversation. Believers' speech must always be with grace as was Christ, Luke chapter four, verse 22. There is no place for those things that characterize our mouth otherwise. Whether undergoing persecution, stress, frustration, difficulty, injustice, despite who might be involved, gracious speech should be a habit for effective gospel witness. Now see... If I were to only preach uh, the parts of God's word that I liked or that were comfortable, well, I would have skipped over that part. Because I can be honest with you, 
there's conviction here. And there's always a constant check. Uh, I married well, and, and my wife helps me in this area. I have said it before. When I am operating in the flesh, I don't have a lot of grace. I have high expectations of myself and, and everyone else too. Everyone in here, I have high expectations of you. And also the, the gift and curse of, of being right. A, a lot. You, you think I'm joking. I'm serious there. This leads to being harsh, critical, and judgmental. You want to know who Michael Miller is apart from Christ? Well, he can be a jerk. Don't argue with me. I see some of you shaking your heads out there that that's not true. I, I know, I know me. It's true. I also tend towards a bit of a cowboy diplomacy, which can uh, get me in trouble. Pastor Matthew and I are a great counterbalance uh, in that area with, with approaching situations. Those things, they don't work. It doesn't work, not according to scripture and not according to Jesus's example. Tempered with the Holy Spirit and a calling to ministry, these traits can be strong forces for good, but they can just as quickly be forces of hypocrisy and hindrance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. The speech of the new man, having put on the new creation, must also be seasoned with salt, as Paul says here in scripture. Our speech and our approach is not only to be gracious, but also to have an effect. Salt can sting when rubbed into a wound, but it also prevents corruption and spoil. Our speech should act as a purifying influence, encouraging and edifying. Salt adds flavor, and the speech of a disciple of Jesus who is growing in maturity should, appeal, should, should add appeal and character to conversation and interaction. I recently uh, was blessed with the opportunity uh, to meet with a high-profile individual uh, here in our community who, due to their position, has, has a lot of influence and, and leadership. This meeting came about as a recommendation uh, by uh, someone who, who works for that individual um, and extended an invitation to me as a representative of Crosslink. This relationship came and the invite came through, through relationship that's been built uh, this past year. Uh, this was a no-brainer uh, to me. Even in Pastor Matthew's uh, absence, we as a church had an opportunity to be among the first, if not the first, pastor in ministry to, to meet with this person. So I, I seized the day two weeks ago. It was an absolutely fantastic meeting. God really blessed. But along the course of the conversation, I learned some factors uh, that, that could come up uh, as a as a potential opportunity uh, for sharing the gospel. Did I condemn? Did I condone? Neither. I continued to demonstrate love, to create an openness, not only for the gospel, but for like-minded partnership in other important areas that we can then utilize to, to further the gospel and ministry before us. A mutual respect was established, personal contact info exchanged, which wasn't necessary, and an open-handed relationship was born. Because of an exercise of wisdom, seizing an opportunity, 
and a demonstration of speech filled with grace and love. God provided a perfect sermon illustration for what we were talking about today. The gospel wasn't immediately preached uh, in that moment, but it was practiced. We must not compromise the mission by the composition of our language and reputation. Believers must also know how to respond to each person, saying the right thing at the right time while never compromising the truth of God's word in doing so, strategically. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Why is this important? Paul includes it here for a reason. How does this tie in? It is vitally relevant as it affects who we are when it comes to all for Christ in ministry. All for Christ in ministry. As we look at the the final um, few verses, uh, the last part of the passage here, we we see a lot go over this and, and miss what's going on. What is Paul doing here? What point is he making? How are all these names that we see in these last few verses relevant and and all these instructions meaningful for us today? Ready? Here's how. We need friends in ministry. Friends in ministry. A local like-minded pastor shared this meme on social media earlier this week. It is an image of a cruise ship and a battleship. It said, the church is not to be a cruise ship where a handful of people serve everyone else who is relaxing. No, the church is a battleship where it's all hands on deck and everyone serves the mission. Paul is conveying this thought of all in and all hands on deck to remind us that his ministry was not all about his ministry. It involved others, and it needed others. Paul was in the business of equipping and delegating, and he was simply a master at it. Let's, uh, let's do a real quick roll call here. Uh, there, there's a lot going on. There's all these different names. They have connections and other passages of scripture and, and Paul's letters elsewhere. But I want you to see what, what's going on and what it took to carry out the ministry uh, that God had called Paul to. It took Epaphras, who evangelized the Lycus Valley, probably served as pastor of the Colossian church. There was Tychicus, who was a letter bearer for Paul, but he was significant and Paul mentions him here because of his interactions and the role that he has to play in the ministry that was going on. There was Onesimus, a slave who attached himself to Paul in his work. There was Aristarchus, who was a a traveling companion. Maybe he was a ministry assistant. Maybe he helped take care uh, of things for Paul and, and arranging his letters and speaking at churches. I don't know, but he was a traveling companion of Paul's. There was Mark, who is the author of the Gospel of Mark, Uh, and um, a source of dispute between Paul and Barnabas earlier on. But what does Paul say to the Colossian church? That they are to welcome him. There's justice, or or, um, scripture says Jesus, who is a a fellow worker that we don't know much about other than he has a cool name. There was Luke, author of the Gospel of Luke and one of the biggest behind-the-scenes players in all of the New Testament. There was Nympha, She hosted a house church. She's the patron saint of all community group leaders. 
There was Archippus. We'll come back to him in a moment, but he was a fellow, fellow soldier with Paul. There's one name that I left out from that list. Did you catch which one it was? Demas. Why? Because he is the one not like the others. He's the fly in the ointment. He had made a substantial commitment to the Lord's work and was with Paul for both imprisonments. But when we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 through 10, we see one of the saddest verses of scripture in the New Testament. Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Jesus had his Judas, Paul his Demas, Anyone who has been in ministry long enough, especially vocationally as a pastor, has shared in this heartbreaking experience. I think Paul includes this mention here as a reminder that uh, this, is, this kind of failure is not a reflection of one's ministry, that we should just give up and, and abandon it, but rather a reminder of the reality of the battle that we are in. Suffice it to say, it is sort of comforting to note uh, that even two of the greatest spiritual leaders we have in the world have had those who failed them. The ministry God has called us to is not solo work. It takes teamwork. We need the friendship and partnership of other believers to come alongside of us and do what we cannot do or are not gifted spiritually to do. We need others to reach people who cannot be reached by us to expand, enhance the ministry. To, to be all for Christ in ministry, we need friends in ministry. We also need to be fruitful in ministry. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, and he said to him, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We're also to be faithful in ministry. Psalm chapter 101, verse six says, my eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. In our, in our ministry and in, in what we're doing, we are to be faithful and carrying out what God has called each and every every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ to do. To be all for Christ in ministry, we are to be faithful. We are also, there's also a favor that comes from uh, the ministry. Matthew chapter 25, verse 23 says, when we are, when we are faithful, uh, when we are going about what the Lord is doing, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. In, in this uh, parable that, that Jesus is saying, here and, and explaining about the, the master and, and his servants and, and entrusting them with, with resources. Uh, the, the slave, the servant was faithful. We likewise are to be faithful in what God has entrusted in us. And finally, we are called to one last thing as we look at verse 17. We get through all of that. We see how reminders of how we are to be encouraged uh, in our hearts and, and how those, diff those different individuals that Paul mentions perform different tasks and have different meanings within the scope of ministry. But we are called to one last thing in verse 17. Way back on Sunday, June 6th, launching Pastor Matthew into his sabbatical, this verse was shared as part of the presentation certificate that, that we did right here. I told you that you would hear more about this verse later on this summer. Well, we are later on this summer. We are to fulfill the ministry. 
fulfill the ministry. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 through 3 says, it tells us how to successfully fulfill uh, this ministry that God has given us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I said a moment ago that we would come back to Paul's mention of his fellow uh, soldier, uh, that we find that reference in Philemon, Archippus. Paul's last words before his end of the letter salutation are directed at him as an encouragement to continue faithfully in his ministry. Why? Was he discouraged? Was he starting to doubt? Was he weary? Was, was he young? Was he new uh, to, to his role? He might have been all those things. We, we don't know. What we can surmise is that he likely was in some capacity, shape, or form standing in for uh, Epaphras, who was away from the Colossian church at the time of this writing, as maybe a, a, a deacon or, or someone that was, uh, that was preaching or, or keeping the, the, the flock together, regardless of what he was. Paul focuses in on him and his ministry that he had. And this is vital, vital for each one of us to grip as we conclude the, this message series and, and having this all for Christ, uh, always, always Christ mindset with, the, with today the lens of being all for Christ. Paul reminded us here that ministry is a gift from God. We are stewards of that ministry that will one day give an account. Since the Lord gave us the ministry, he also helps us carry it out. And as Warren Wearsby put it, ministry is not something we do for God. It is something God does and in through us. The word fulfill used here carries with it the idea that God has a definite purpose for his servants to accomplish. He works in us and through us to complete these works that he has prepared for us. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. In addition, the idea of fulfill here parallels with the theme of Colossians, the fullness of Jesus Christ available to every believer. When we have the fullness of Jesus Christ within us, we can fulfill the ministry uh, that he has given to us. We are able to fulfill our ministries because we have, have been filled full through Jesus Christ. We are called to take heed or pay attention to, give priority to the unique ministry each of us have. As a lead pastor, that ministry is to shepherd the flock of the local church, to lead, to preach, to cast vision from the Lord for the people. But it is not the pastor's job to do all of the work of the ministry. We are called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Paul is exemplifying that here uh, in, in this passage. It wasn't all Paul. It wasn't all about Paul and what he was doing. It was about all of the others that were involved in ministry with him, getting the job done. As a church, it is time to live always and always Christ for the work that he has for us. We need to be all in. We need to be all to Christ. We need to be all with Christ and we need to be all for Christ. When we get involved in God's work, he gets involved in ours. 
action on our part brings about the activity of God in an active way for his ministry, we are acting to fulfill. The clearest evidence of a life all for Christ is when the disciple's life is equipped and committed to the point of seizing life's opportunities, challenge or celebration, trial or triumph, struggle or success, as potential ministry moments, sharing Christ through word and deed. In conclusion, I, can, uh, I believe we can summarize the message today with one of my favorite Latin sentiments mentioned earlier, carpe diem. But apart from God, that is an empty and worldly concept. As Christians, we must consider a scope beyond carpe diem. We must, here's a little Latin trivia for you all uh, to, to take home. Coram Deo ad Deum, carpe diem. In the presence of God, to God, seize the day. That's what our Christian life must look like. All for Christ. Because Christ is all and in all, we take heed to labor in the ministry of the gospel. With Christ, we walk in him, rooted and continually building our lives in the truth of his word. We establish our faith, just as instructed, with an attitude of thankfulness, so that whatever we do in word or deed, we do all in the name of Jesus, striving according to his power, which mightily works within us, we can then fulfill the ministry we have received. We started this summer and season with a message uh, of give God a chance where we trust, yield to, obey, and share him. As we wrap up this chapter uh, in the life of Crosslink and, and turn the page, we do so with this same theme of, of asking God to do great things with and in the life of the church. As we run towards what God has for us, pursue spiritual maturity, walk in authenticity, and practice the love of Christ, we are going to go to the, the Lord in prayer here in just a moment. And as we do, we are also going to pray for our lead pastor. At this time, I would like to invite Pastor Matthew back to the stage um, to join me here. Please welcome Pastor Matthew. Jeremiah 33.3 said this, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. As I lead in prayer and as we, as we pray for our pastor and his coming back to us from sabbatical and what the Lord has in store uh, for him in the coming days in the life of our church, we're also going to use this as an invitation time for prayer for each one of us to reflect and take inventory of where we're at with our ministry uh, that God has given to us. And so what I'm going to do is we're, we're gonna kneel right here on stage and I'm gonna ask you uh, to come forward and join us here at the altar. You don't have to be in leadership to do this. Anyone uh, can come forward uh, and pray a prayer of dedication for what God has for us next. So join me here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Dear Lord Jesus, uh, as we gather here today and reflect on the the message of your word, Lord, I pray that you would uh, instill it in our hearts in a firm and powerful way. Lord, may we not be able to escape it. Lord, may we truly be always and always Christ, all in and all to and all with and all for the work of the ministry and the mission that you have for us to fulfill. God, I thank you for how you have fulfilled that in the life of Pastor Matthew thus far. And I thank you for our pastor. I thank you for his time of sabbatical, uh, away from ministry responsibility to be able to rest, spend time with his family, and most importantly, with you. And has he has heard uh, a word from you and you have worked in his life, God, I pray that you would uh, continue to show him uh, your way uh, for leading here at Crosslink and impacting the valley and blessing the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we have work to do. Lord, we look forward uh, to getting after it. Lord, and I pray that it would be an all hands on deck experience. God, that you would work in the hearts and lives of every person here right now, Lord, that we would be intentional, that we would be purposeful. Lord, that we would be passionate about serving you and being a light to our community. God, I thank you for the opportunities that are all around us. Help us to seize them, Lord. I pray that, uh, that every uh, believer here, God, would, would sense that call and sense that urgency. And God, we, we lift this time up to you, Lord, knowing that uh, there, there may be one in the room uh, who does not know you. And Lord, I, I pray that you would work in that person's uh, heart right now, that you would help them to realize the, the need for a savior and that something has been missing from their life all this time. And they may have tried to fill it with all these other things, but only you can be sufficient. Only you can fill, Lord, only you can provide. And God, I pray that, that as, as you stir in, in their heart, uh, drawing them close to you, Lord, that they would respond. And here at the end of the service where, where we'll have a prayer team, God, that they would, that they would come uh, and share uh, that decision uh, to follow hard and fast after you and to live for you in everything that they do and say. God, I pray that this message would become a reality for all of us and and not just a a sermon, not just a a message on one Sunday, but a life-changing time, God, as we look at your word and see what it says, help us to live it out. Lord, send us out as as we strive to live for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.